Hi, I am Dr. Julie Weisenberg. I'm a Washington University pediatric neurologist and a mom doc at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Seizures can be so scary for anyone witnessing them. But is it always epilepsy? This is Mom Docs with St. Louis Children's Hospital, and today we're talking about epilepsy. Dr. Weisenberg, I'm so glad to have you join us today because, as I said, when people witness these seizures, it can be terrifying. Tell us first, what is epilepsy? Uh, well, that's a great question. Epilepsy actually refers to a very broad diagnosis, um, and basically what it, uh, what it means is that you have demonstrated that your body has a tendency to go into unprovoked seizures at a much higher um, incidence than the general population. Uh, we're all capable of having a seizure, an epileptic seizure from the brain in the right situation if you hit your head in a bad traumatic brain injury or if you have an infection of the brain. But epilepsy refers to a, a condition in which without something directly happening to your brain at that moment, your body is more likely to go into seizures. Do we know what causes them? Well, so there are many, many, many different causes of epilepsy. Uh, we roughly divide the causes of epilepsy into about six categories, with uh, the three most common being uh, what we call structural, meaning there's something we can see if we look at a picture of the brain, such as a history of a stroke or an abnormality in how the brain formed. The second most common would be genetic, and this is the most rapidly growing field. Uh, or the most rapidly grow, uh, growing identified cause, and unknown. There are also people who have epilepsy from a history of a remote infection, meaning an infection that occurred in the past, or an autoimmune condition, um, but those are much less common. If a child has a seizure, how many do they have to have before they're officially diagnosed with epilepsy? Is there like a certain number or a marker that you docs use? So in the past, uh, the definition required greater than two unprovoked seizures, but the definition has actually changed in the past few years. Um, these definitions are set up by the International League Against Epilepsy, uh, which consists of a committee of doctors and scientists who study epilepsy. Um, but um, the current definition of epilepsy does actually only require a history of one seizure, but clear evidence of increased risk of more seizures in uh, in the person's lifetime, greater than a, approximately a two-thirds chance that they would have another seizure in the near future. Um, and the pieces of information that we might use if we don't have a history of two or more seizures might include findings on an EEG um, in helping us make that diagnosis. Then tell us, Dr. Weisenberg, what happens when a child does have a seizure? What does that look like? Well, so seizures can look like many different things. So to review, an epileptic seizure consists of an abnormal electrical discharge from the brain to the rest of the body. Um, and they can either come from just a small part of the brain or even from the whole surface of the brain. And if they come from just a small part of the brain, the seizures may be as simple as a very um, unusual sensation or uh, rhythmic movements of just one part of the body, one part of the face, one arm. Um, it might consist of the person uh, just uh, losing awareness and not being able to respond for a short period of time. Um, the most common presentation that people identify readily as seizures are uh, what we refer to as generalized tonic-clonic seizures, which consist of whole body shaking. But it's important to know that there are many different things that 
are that uh, will look different than that that are seizures. Are there certain triggers for seizures for parents with children that have epilepsy? Are there environmental factors, stress factors, lifestyle factors, anything that could bring on a seizure? So for people who do clearly have epilepsy, that increased tendency to have seizures, the two most common triggers uh, would either be sleep deprivation, so not getting enough sleep, um, or uh, infection, which of course is very hard to avoid in our younger children. So a fever or any kind of virus, um, if they already have that tendency for seizures, may bring them out. Once we are dealing with um, uh, older individuals, uh, teenagers, um, if they're um, drinking alcohol, uh, of course not legally, um, that can also low- lower your seizure threshold. Um, there are a few medications that it's important um, for um, any uh, child with epilepsy's doctor to know if they have a history of epilepsy because they can also increase their risk for seizures. Well, I think that every parent's biggest question, doctor, is can seizures be dangerous and what should a person do if they see someone having one? So seizures absolutely can be dangerous. However, most of the time, the dangerous thing about a seizure is not the seizure itself, but where you are when you have it. Because fortunately, most seizures do stop quickly in usually less than five minutes. But if you're in an unsafe situation, when you don't have control over your body, it can be very dangerous. So the most important thing is to avoid those situations. Um, The most dangerous situation would, of course, be water. So any child who has an increased risk for seizures should not be in a bathtub unattended. We also, of course, recommend that nobody swim alone, but particularly any child with a history of seizures should be very closely supervised in any water activity. We also strongly recommend caution uh, with heights, So we generally recommend that children not climb anything taller than themselves. Uh, Of course, it's important uh, to keep a balance. So just close monitoring and making your judgment on areas like playgrounds is also key. We want all of our kids to lead as normal and happy and healthy a life as possible. Is there anything we need to do? If we see a child, you know, we've seen in the movies, they talk about them biting down on something. What are we supposed to do? So in the event that a person is having a seizure, the most important thing is to get them into a safe position. So if they're in a dangerous uh, spot, uh, we certainly want to get them out of that spot. But then the next thing to do is put them into what we call safe position. We want to have them laying on their side. And actually, we do not recommend putting anything in their mouth. That is, um, That was many, many years ago a recommendation of first aid to put something in the mouth. But we now know that that actually is not helpful. The key thing is, though, to have that person on their side and make sure there's nothing around them that if their body is jerking, they would accidentally hit themselves against or get hurt. Uh, If the seizure then is going on for more than five minutes, there's a concern about breathing, or really if a family or observer is uncomfortable, it is always best to contact emergency services, call 911 as soon as possible. That was a great explanation, doctor. Thank you for that. How does the Washington University Pediatric Epilepsy Center treat seizures? So we do a variety of things uh, to treat seizures. The first thing, of course, is to make sure that um, any individual with a history of seizures has been properly evaluated. It's very important that one of our providers, whether it's uh, one of our nurse practitioners in our Nuance at Seizure Clinic or one of our physicians, 
um, has taken a detailed history to make sure we understand the specific characteristics of the seizures um, so that we can best classify the type of seizures and the type of epilepsy that we think that person has. Most often, they require some tests, including an EEG or an electroencephalogram and a brain MRI, but we may also recommend additional blood tests or other forms of testing. After that, we, of course, also review the important uh, factors involved in keeping somebody safe with epilepsy and then move on to discussing what the appropriate treatment to try to prevent future seizures is. For most people, the first line of treatment would be a medication. And the reason for this is that still the majority of people with a history of seizures will respond to a medication and be able to have their seizures well controlled. Uh, and so we have a huge list of medications to choose from, and we want to find a medicine that has the best odds of controlling the seizures with a minimum of side effects. Our goal is to not feel like you're on a medication um, and to not have seizures. If, however, medications are either not working, uh, either because of side effects or are simply not succeeding in controlling the seizures, then we would consider whether they are a candidate for a type of surgery to prevent the seizures or hopefully cure them or special diets. Well, you went right to where I was going to go from here. So before we talk about some of the surgeries available, tell us about uh -huh. the dietary therapies that are involved in epilepsy and the ketogenic diet and some of these others that we're hearing can possibly help. So there are roughly three diets, so they technically all sort of fall into the same big category. Um, but so there's something called the ketogenic diet. There's something else called the modified Atkins diet, and there's something else called the low glycemic index diet. And these are all diets that really, if you think about it, we're attempting to do the same thing as a medication, lower that tendency to have seizures. The difference is that rather than taking a medication one, two, three times a day, we're monitoring every single thing that that person eats. We even pay attention to what lotions and shampoos and um, and toothpaste they use, um, because what we're trying to do is alter the body's metabolism. And uh, these diets can work for the right group of patients, but they are a fair amount of work, and they do carry some side effects, um, particularly the ketogenic diet, because it is a high-fat diet with almost no carbohydrate in it. And if parents have tried the medications and these diet therapies, what does surgery look like? What does that discussion look like? And what treatment options might be available? So anybody who has uh, failed two effective medication choices at appropriate dosing should be exploring alternative treatments, including specific, uh, including both diets and surgeries. And surgeries can roughly be, div be divided into two types, curative and palliative. Curative is where we're really hoping to eliminate the cause of the seizures and eliminate seizures for life. Palliative is where we expect to improve the overall seizure burden, um, but don't expect that it will uh, limit or eliminate them completely. These surgeries range um, very much depending on what the cause is. In some cases, we know that uh, the child was born with a very small area of the brain that didn't develop quite right, and uh, a surgery in which we remove that small area after careful evaluation and testing uh, might, it might involve an open brain surgery. 
Uh, for other people, if we're looking, for instance, at that what I refer to as that palliative cat- category, it might refer to some sort of implanted device, kind of like a pacemaker, but it's for the brain. Um, so this includes something called a vagal nerve stimulator. Um, and there's a huge range of surgeries that we offer, both within the curative and palliative surgeries. So uh, within brain surgery, sometimes it involves uh, a, a very small open surgery. Sometimes it doesn't even involve an open surgery. It might be a laser technique to remove that area. Other times it is a very big brain surgery. Wow, that's a lot of treatment options, doctor. Thank you for sharing those with us. The Washington University Pediatric Epilepsy Center is a level four center. What does that mean? So there is something called uh, the National Association of Epilepsy Centers, and it um, provides an accreditation uh, most uh, neuro, uh, most epilepsy centers are either a level three or a level four, um, and it is recommended that anybody with what we call drug-resistant epilepsy be referred to at least a level three center. What a level four center means is that we have uh, provide detailed evaluation, have um, trained epileptologists, and a wide variety of surgeries as well as diagnostic testing available. Um, to provide all the different modalities of treatment uh, for epilepsy. What great information. Such an interesting topic. Doctor, wrap it up for us. What would you like parents listening that may or may not have a child with epilepsy but are really interested in what treatments are available and what a seizure looks like, what we should do if a child has one? Please wrap it up with your best advice. So there's so many things I could probably talk all day about this topic, Um, but I think the biggest take-home message is if you have a child with epilepsy or know somebody who has a child with epilepsy whose seizures are not well-controlled and has not been evaluated at an epilepsy center, it's so important that they do do that um, because uh, the number of treatment options um, and all the modalities that we have continue to grow every day. We are learning more every day about how to diagnose and treat epilepsy, and it's changing quickly. So um, it's very important to be getting the most up-to-date evaluation. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your incredible expertise in this area. If you found this podcast informative, please share on your social media and be sure to check out all our other helpful podcasts in our library. Head on over to the website at stlouischildrens.org to get connected with one of our providers. I'm Melanie Cole.